0: Hello and welcome to Rooted and Unwithered. I'm Cole Newton. And the following is a continuation of our monthly series called Dead Men Preaching in which we bring sermons from church history into the present and into your ears. And so, since this is December and the Christmas season is one of my favorite times of the year, I thought it only fitting that we would give a Christmas sermon this Sunday. And so this comes from Joseph Elaine, who was a Puritan preacher who lived uh, from 1634 to 1668, and his sermon is on Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, which reads, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so the the sermon is very fittingly titled, A Savior Has Come, and you will notice that uh, this sermon follows the, uh, the very common Puritan pattern in which uh, there are two main parts to the sermon. There is what is first called the doctrine, where they give kind of the main teaching of the text that they are um, expositing for us. And then there's the second section, uh, the uses of the text, where they make pointed application of uh, how that doctrine helps us to live our lives as Christians. And so Here is the Sermon a Savior Has Come from the Puritan Joseph Elaine. My brethren, good tidings, I know must be welcome to you at such a time as this. Now God has sent me to you with this most blessed news that ever came to man. That is, that to you a Savior is born. You have here the history of our Savior's birth. The shepherds were abroad in the fields, watching over their flocks by night. Verse 8. And while they were thus diligent in attending their flocks, then the angel brought this news to them. From whence observe, by the way, how good it is to be following our lawful callings. The fruit of these tidings was great fear that fell upon the shepherds when they saw the angel. And against this fear, the angel bid them be of good comfort. Then you have here the news. Behold, I bring you good tidings, where you have observable first the messenger, the angel, and second, you have the fruits of it, great joy to all people. And third, you have the matter of this news that came to them was born a savior. From the words observe this doctrine. Doctrine. It is the most blessed news that ever came to the ears of men, newsworthy of angels from God to be the messengers of it, that unto us is come a savior. (laughs) Brethren, I must commend the grace of God to me this day in making me the messenger of such a news to you as this. I am unworthy to bring you this news. It is for angels to bring this news. They were sent with this message as you see. Yet God has been pleased to send me as a messenger with these tidings to you. Now I shall show you that this is the best news that ever came to the ears of man. And that, first, if you consider the deplorable condition he found man in, and second, if you consider what a great salvation he has wrought for man. First, consider the deplorable condition that he found man in. We were all gone out of the way. We had fallen among thieves, and between sin and Satan we were robbed and wounded. This Samaritan found us and he cured us. It cost him no less than his own blood. So desperate a disease is sin that nothing will cure us but the death of Christ He found us shut up in sin, and we were not able to get out. And then he rolled away the stone for us, knocked us off our fetters, and wrought deliverance for us. This was the misery of man's condition. He was in a helpless condition, see Romans 5.6. There was no possibility for us ever to recover ourselves. Neither was there any help in any other besides Christ, Acts 4.12. Heaven and earth could not find out a way to deliver man till God found out a way. And because heaven and earth could not find out a way of God and man must come together. And as he was God, he must satisfy. And as he was man, he must suffer. And so we must come out. He found a stinking in our graves as he did Lazarus. That stinking carrion does not stink more than we did when Christ found us. Second, consider what a great salvation he has wrought for us. This will appear if you consider from what he has saved us and how he has saved us. He has saved us one from the roaring lion, two from our raging lusts, three from the flaming furnace, and four from the terror from the king of terrors. So first, from the roaring lion, so is our adversary, the devil called in first Peter chapter five, verse eight. This is he that Christ has delivered us from. We were all in the paws of this lion, and Christ came and delivered us from him. This is the David who slew the lion and the bear and saved us when we were likely to be destroyed. When Satan thought to triumph over Christ, then Christ triumphed over him. Colossians 2.15 all the powers of hell combined together and labored to overthrow Christ. They would have brought him to the cross and there triumphed over him and thought then that they had done it all. And yet then he overthrew them. Oh, what a mercy is this to be delivered not only from the bondage of Egypt, but from the spiritual Egypt. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? Colossians 1.13. My brethren, brethren. We were fast shut up in prison, in the prison of which Satan was the jailer, and there was no possibility of getting loose from him. We were laid up as slaves under him and led captive by him at his will. 1 Timothy 2.26 Now what praise do we owe to him who has delivered us from such a tyrant as this? This is our deliverance, to be turned from the power of Satan unto God. Acts 26.18 This has Christ done for us. He has delivered us from the power of Satan. We were once in his family and did his work. They are called the rulers of the darkness of this world, Ephesians 2, 2 and 3, and 6, verse 12. That is, poor ignorant souls that were lying in our ignorance. And that described not only some of us, but all of us. And two, we were saved from the raging lusts. As we were saved from the slavery of Satan, so also from the dominion of sin, Romans 6.14. By Christ, we are freed from the dominion of sin. By Christ, we are freed from the dominion of sin. My brethren, Christ not only frees us from the damnation of sin, but from the dominion of sin. To be the servant of sin is a most miserable slavery. What a mercy it is to be delivered from a master whose work is drudgery and whose wages is destruction. Such a one as Satan. Would it not have pitied us to have seen a poor man in the gospel going up and down among the tombs and doing nothing but cutting and wounding himself? Such a one is every unsanctified person. They go up and down wounding themselves. <clears throat> and though they do not feel the wounds that sin gives them, yet there is a day coming when conscious being awakened, they will feel it. Do you know, my brethren, what the work is that sin sets upon sets us upon? It is to destroy ourselves. The Jews pleaded that they were free, John chapter 8, and what did our Savior tell them of making them free? Oh, but that they were servants to their lusts, which was the greatest slavery. My brethren, to be under the power of a man's lust is a most perfect slavery do but look upon a sinner that has an enlightened conscience and see how he rends and tears and is in a worse condition than the most woeful galley slave in the world and then he vows and covenants against his sin and then his sin eggs him on again and then to his conscience to his conscience falls upon him oh this is a sad condition Now this, Christ has delivered us from, sin will be in us, but Christ has promised that it shall not reign in us. And this is the blessed deliverance. He has wrought in us, and this he will perfect at the last day. And by the way, you may see and try whether you have any part in Christ or not. Why? How may we know it? Are you delivered from your sins? Though sin is in you, is it there against your consent? If so, you are they whom Christ died for. But if it is in you in its dominion, you have no part or portion in this matter. A man would be better off to be the most perfect galley slave in the world than to be under the power of sin. Now Christ has delivered you from this. 3. From the Flaming Furnace this is another thing that Christ has delivered you from. If the furnace heated to show the terribleness of Nebuchadnezzar's rage was so hot that it burned up those who cast in the three children. How hot is the furnace of the Almighty God that is kindled by him? Great rivers of brimstone running out into it, and the breath of the Lord doth kindle it, Isaiah thirty, thirty-three. Oh, do you not know what it is to be damned? You may know what it is to be sick or the like, but you do not know what this word damnation means. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, and 9. When we see wicked men under the terrors of conscience, how they wish for death that they might know what their torment is as Spira and William Rogers. Oh, can you tell what this terrible furnace is? This is that which Christ has delivered us from. When I consider what this gulf is, I cannot but wonder at my own and others' stupidity, that we are not ever, ever praising the Lord. If the terror of the Lord is so great that when he lets out but a drop of it in upon a poor creature how terrible is all that wrath the treasure of that wrath that is laid up for the ungodly in romans chapter 2 verse 5 and verses 8 and 9 and james 5 verse 3 those wicked rich men there had as they thought heaped up the treasures of riches by oppressing the poor but the apostle tells them that they heaped up treasures of wrath and this we are all born to had not Christ cut off the entail. O man or woman, can you think of burning forever in the fire of the Lord's wrath and not be praising the Lord that you are yet out of hell? O bless the Lord who delivered you from so great a death and has endured such torments that you may be set free. He bore the rod of God's wrath that you may be saved to all eternity. If Christ had not done that, where would we have been? As the Son of God coming among the three Hebrew children saved them from burning, so it is here. It is Christ's coming that has saved us from, the, from burning in this flaming furnace. How terrible this furnace is, you see. The same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day or night. Revelation 14, verses 10 and 11. Oh, I think that the very sight of this furnace at a distance should startle our souls and make us lift up our hands and eyes and souls and praise the Lord. Oh, I think we are the redeemed of the Lord should stand together about the pit and look down and lift up our hearts and praise the Lord. Four, from the king of terrors, he has saved you as from the devil. So from death, you know, death is the mortal enemy of man. It is his great and last enemy. And now this enemy Christ has destroyed and delivered us from and that both from the sting and victory of it. So from the sting of death, he has not delivered us from the stroke of death, but he has delivered us from the sting of death. When the sting is out of the serpent, when a sting is out, the serpent may hiss, but he cannot sting. Death will put you into the possession of that which Christ has provided for you, so that death now has become desirable. Now there is beauty in it. There is no friend can do for you what death can do. It will at once deliver you from sin and Satan and give you a possession in heaven. The apostle, looking upon death through Christ, longs for death having a desire to depart, as he says in Philippians 1.23. This great robber, through Christ, has become our greatest gain. That which would have marred us forever will now make us forever. Oh, that this king of terrors should become desirable. What mercy is this? Oh, my beloved, if you knew what terrors of death are to the enlightened sinner, you would account it a great privilege to be free from the sting of death. When all his comforts are taking their everlasting farewell of him, you will account it a great salvation then. When he shall feel death putting its cold hands and pulling out his heart, when he shall see the house of his body falling down about his ears, and he cannot stay there any longer, and he sees the hellhound standing about him, waiting upon him to carry him to hell. Oh, what horror this works upon the heart this Christ has delivered us from. Death has left its sting in Christ. It can hurt us no longer from the victory of death. It is true we must lie in the grave for some time, yet Christ will fetch us there. In John 6, he promises no less than four times, I will raise them up at the last day, verses 39, 40, 44, and 54. And this is the fruit of his purchase. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 Christ's resurrection is a certain pledge of ours. See 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, let us not fear death, but embrace it with comfort. For death cannot touch our souls. It cannot deliver us over into the second death. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Revelation 2.11 Therefore, let us not fear death, but let our flesh rest in hope. When we die, may we commit our bodies to the dust with comfort. It cannot hurt our souls. It shall not keep our bodies, but a little while. God will receive our souls immediately and our bodies after a little while. How does Job comfort himself in this? I know that my Redeemer liveth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job 19, verses 25 and 26. Thus may we triumph over death, that in this flesh we shall see God. And though death for the present makes such work of us and casts us into the grave, yet the earth will be put, will be but the mold wherein we shall receive a glorious body so that death shall conduce to our great advantage. This is no little victory to be able to triumph with the apostle O oh, death, where is thy victory? 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty-five. This is no small privilege. Bless your Redeemer for this privilege. What a privilege will this be when all of the sons and daughters of God shall be brought forth and made to stand up before him. Then it shall appear that the grave was not able to hold them. Then will they triumph and sing songs of salvation. Then they shall stand upon their feet upon the last enemy, death. Second, It will appear what blessed news this is if you consider how he has saved you. He has saved you two ways, by might and by merit. By merit. Brethren, your salvation cost your Savior dearly, no less a price than his own invaluable blood. Believer, look upon yourself. Are you not a worthless thing to be redeemed by the price of Christ's blood? Oh, how should we admire the goodness of Christ here? We are not worthy that Christ should spend one of his thoughts upon us, much less that he should spend his blood for us by might. My brethren, it was absolutely requisite for our salvation that our Redeemer, as he should be of infinite merit, so of infinite might. If he had not been of infinite merit, he could never have been the purchaser of heaven for us. The soul of one man is of is of more worth than a whole world. And then what worth or value must that be of that who is able to buy a world of souls? And yet this purchaser must be able to buy heaven too. And this Christ has done for us. Could heaven and earth have done this? No, no. It would have broken them all if they had done it. But now Christ has done all for us, and therefore he must be of infinite merit, and not infinite in merit only, but might too. For he was to bear all the wrath of God and to bring us off with victory. If the wrath of God's finger is so intolerable that it makes poor creatures to cry out under it, what is the wrath of his loins? If the wrath of God against one man is so great, what is his wrath against so many men? When the price was laid down, the devil would not yet yield his hold till Christ had come and cast him down and pluck us from him. And therefore it was necessary that our Redeemer should be of infinite power. He hath destroyed him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, Hebrews two fourteen. 14. Our brethren, we may behold the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, bowing himself as Samson did and pulling down the house about his enemies, carrying away the posts and all setting us free. This is our Samson who has carried all away and destroyed our enemies for us. The price was sufficient to satisfy the justice of God for us. But when the price was paid and paid to God, then Satan would not let us go and therefore he must be overcome too. Use one. Is it such blessed news that to us is born a Savior? Then, my brethren, let this stir you up to joy and thankfulness for this salvation. Oh, let me hear you say with Mary, My soul doth magnify the Lord, my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Luke 1, verses 46 and 47. Brethren, I think you should now meet your Redeemer with songs of salvation. I think you should come forth to meet him as they did Saul and David when they returned from their victory. The women came out singing and dancing, and they answered one another as they played, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, 1 Samuel eighteen six and 7. Thus should you meet your Redeemer. You should go forth to meet him as Miriam and the women with her, with timbrels and di- with dancing and sing unto the Lord, Exodus fifteen twenty and 21. O brethren, With what joyful heart should you welcome Jesus Christ, your Savior? This is glad tidings to all who are saved by him. Blessed be God who gives us cause to triumph in him. It is true. In many other things, it goes sad with us. But here is always for us a triumph in Christ for the spiritual deliverance that he has wrought for you, which is a sure pledge that Christ will deliver you in outward respects. How blessed a time was the year of jubilee to the slaves who were in bondage. How they reckoned every day and week till it came. How glad was that sound when it sounded their deliverance. I think I see the prison doors open and the prisoners running out and crying, Salvation to our God! Oh, I think nothing but the songs of salvation should be heard in your tabernacles. Oh, do not let complaining be heard for your outward calamities. What are those outward flea bites to that which our savior has delivered us from? Go home and bless the Lord. And whatever ill news you hear, let this comfort your heart that Christ has made such a deliverance for you. Used to. Is it such blessed news that to us is born a savior? Then this reproves our unthankfulness for Christ and the news of Christ in the gospel. O brethren, How is it that the praise of our Redeemer is no more in our hearts and no more heard in our mouths? How is it that we can be so unmindful of and unthankful for this Savior? Has God sent us a Savior? And shall we not be thankful for him? It is a great sin to be unthankful for his creatures. How much more to be unthankful for his Christ. He has given you Christ. And what can he give you more How is it that you are so seldom in blessing the Lord for his mercy? Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, says David, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 103, verse 2. That is, none of his benefits. If Christ has given you all of this world's goods and had not given you Christ, what would it have done for you? What would it have been but a smooth and pleasant way to hell? What if the Lord had given you honor and made your brethren's sheaves to bow before yours and had not given you Christ? What good would it have done you? If a man were condemned at London to be hanged, drawn, and quartered, and were to be brought down into the country to be executed, and all his way should be strewn with rushes and be attended with musicians, what would all of this have done for him? Oh, What would we have done if Christ had not stepped in and saved us? None could have redeemed man but Christ. Heaven and hell and the earth and the sea would have said, It is not in me. All the things in the world could never have satisfied our our sins. Will you look to your brethren? Will you look to angels? They could not do it. The spirits of just men made perfect could not save themselves. None could do it but Christ And can you be unmindful of this? The heavens and the earth will be astonished at this if you are not thankful for it. There are two things that will heighten this sin. First, because Christ has given you so many helps to it. And second, because thankfulness is all that he expects from us. First, because he has given us so many helps. All the calls and invitations of the gospel are as so many helps to this duty. But more than these, he has appointed a special day and a special ordinance. He has appointed a special day, the Sabbath day. Why was this day changed? But that you may be mindful of this mercy. And he has appointed a special ordinance, the sacrament of the supper, and appointed upon this account that we might remember his mercy to our souls. Second, this sin is much aggravated because this is all that he expects from you for all that he has suffered for you. Christ has done and suffered beyond all that you can conceive or I can express to you. And what homage does he now expect from you? Nothing but that you should be thankful to him. Will you be unthankful now for this mercy? This is what he expects by way of requital and return, that you be thankful. Had the Lord required some great thing of you or some hard condition, if he would have died for you and redeemed you, Would you not now have done it? And how much more now he has done it and requires no more but this, that you be thankful. Had you lain but one million years in hell, with what gladness would you have heard that sound that he would have redeemed you? Would you have disagreed with the terms? No, no, any terms then would have served. Use three. Then prepare to receive your Savior. Oh, if he has come, take heed that you receive him. Let him not complain of you as he did with his native countrymen, the Jews, that he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. John one eleven. When this news came that there was a Savior born, one would have thought that all of the world would have received him with triumph. But there was no room for him in all the world. But he was thrust out into the manger. Let it not be so with you. Question, but how shall we receive him? Answer, I shall show you where and how. First, I shall show you where you shall receive him. Receive him into your hearts, not in your stall as he was at first, but in your your parlor into your hearts. Your parlor is but a stable. You may wonder that Christ will accept your heart. Send the keys of your heart to Christ. Let him take his choice where to lie. Give him the upper room in your hearts. Second, I shall show you how or after what manner you shall receive him. Receive him as the centurion did, humbly. I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Matthew eight. 8. So should you receive him with a deep sense of your everlasting unworthiness. Receive him with a lively sense of your sins that you have wronged him this is a right receiving of christ when he is received penitently thus did that woman entertain him and christ liked this better than he did the pharisee in luke chapter 7 he rece- she received christ in her heart this is the entertainment that he is well pleased with receive him thus and he will and you will be accepted by him though you have nothing at all in you but the sense of your nothingness Christ will be sure to accept this. Receive him as as Zacchaeus did, joyfully, when Christ called him down from the tree and told him that salvation had come to his house. How glad was the man's heart, Luke 19. Oh, I think that I see with what unspeakable joy he received him. He thought not of Christ's coming to his house. His highest ambition was that he might have a sight of Christ. And Christ sees. And takes notice of it and tells him that salvation has come to his house. Oh, I think that I should see you looking as he did when Christ will come this way where you are. Why, now he has come in his ordinances. Now receive him joyfully. Take him into your heart. Let your joy break out as the waters of the Jordan did or as when the Lord broke up the fountain of the great deep. Brethren, One would think that one should need no arguments to persuade miserable captives to receive a Savior. Oh, how welcome would such offers be to them that are in captivity? Brethren, if ever you have seen your lost condition without Christ, you cannot but receive him when he is offered to you. Oh, I think this name of Jesus should be marrow to your bones, wine to your hearts, and music to your ears. Oh, as God has, so do you. Give him a name above every name. This blessed name, the name of Jesus, I think should be as ointment poured forth upon you, giving a sweet smell. Receive him as old Simeon did, believingly. You must clasp the arms of your faith about him. Oh, how sweetly did old Simeon clasp him in the arms. But you must think that he clasped him more gladly in his heart. If you will but entertain him, Christ and salvation will come to everyone in this house. Take him, submissively so as to be subject to him. He has wrought out salvation for you. Therefore, let him rule over you. Thank you so much for listening, for more resources for knowing and loving God's word. Please visit bcnewton.co And until next time, grace and peace.